You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. The very first day of my postgraduate studies to become a teacher, my PGCE, I found in the classroom that I was sent to, uh, 15 other students like me, both, sorry, all done a degree and all wanting to train to teach religious education. So there's 16 of us. And rather than get down to the learning straight away, um, we were forced to do the icebreaker thing where you have to get to know each other and get to know each other's names and all that sort of thing. And so we sat in a circle and the teacher, the, the tutor, said, um, we're all going to think of a word that describes us and begins with the same letter as our name. I thought, oh, that's all right. Um, I think I'll have, uh, I'll have Jumping Jonathan, okay? Um, he said, and then he said, I'll go first. And we knew his name was, was Jeffrey. And he said, I'm, hello, everybody. I'm Garrulous Jeffrey. The first thing that struck me was it, they don't sound like the same letter, do they? Garrulous Jeffrey. And the second thing was, I've no idea what garrulous means. Oh no, jumping Jonathan's going to sound stupid now. He's coming out with these highfalutin words. Highfalutin words. What does garrulous mean? I had to look it up. It means over-talkative. Yeah, so um, there you go. So jumping and then what happened was, someone before me called Joe said, Hi, everybody, I'm Jumping Joseph. I thought, oh no, not only has someone come out with a better word than me, but now someone's stolen my word. What am I going to do? So I was jovial Jonathan for that day. And whether it helped people learn each other's names, I don't know. But I thought it would be fun just to have a go for yourselves. Um, think of a... Words and it doesn't have to begin with the same letter. It could say, start with the same sound. So whether that's strictly alliteration, I don't know. But you could have gentle Jill, which is a G and a J, but they, they've got a J sound. Have you all got one? Tell the person next to you what your word is. Let's share. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> moving on. So, well, it's just a bit of fun to start with. But what would you, what would you do... If you had to pick a word for somebody else, so you had to pick one for your neighbour, and in the room you were sitting next to Jesus, what word would you give Jesus? Well, today I'm going with generous Jesus. And the, there's one passage of scripture where I felt led to read uh, this week. It wasn't on my Bible reading plan, but I just kind of felt drawn to it. And um, it's the miraculous catch of fish at the end of John's Gospel. And we can see he's generous with his provision. But I actually went through the passage and found three ways where, uh, in John 21, where we see that Jesus is generous with his presence, he's generous with his provision, and he's also generous with his pardon. And so we're going to look at those three areas in which Jesus is generous and see that that's also true for us today. And as we're listening, we can also think, well, am I also generous with my presence? Am I, am I available to people? And am I generous financially or in other ways with, with provision? Um, and am I generous with my pardon? Do I let people off? Do I, well, letting people off perhaps isn't the best 
description of pardon, but do I um, forgive? And so there's different ways of being, of being generous. Generosity isn't just about giving financially. We can be generous with our time, with our talents, as well as with our money. So let's have a look at this passage. But I wanted to slip back a verse into the end of the previous chapter. So there are 21 chapters in John, and this is the end of chapter 20. It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Doesn't that sound like the end of a book? To me, that feels like a conclusion. Jesus did loads of other stuff, and, uh, and I've written this book so that you can believe in him or continue to believe in him and have power and, and, and find the life in his name. That sounds like the end. It could have ended there. But then we come on to this story. Later, so this is the last chapter of John, later... Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Jesus appeared again. In the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, it seems he kept popping up and appearing amongst his disciples and it's often in an unexpected way it seems he walks through walls it seems he appears amongst them it seems that in different ways he is suddenly present and I put it to you today that he wants to do the same for you today tomorrow the day after he wants to be generous with his presence he wants to be around you he didn't need to appear Again, to these disciples, in my opinion, you've finished the book, John's finished the book, he's finished the the story of Jesus at the end of chapter 20, and he has said, Jesus has come to earth, he's been the bread of life and all these wonderful things that he's been, he's died for our sins, he's defeated death and risen from the dead, he's um, he's, he's ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's finished his work. So the story is finished. He doesn't need to appear to the disciples again. He's told them, go and make disciples and do all these things. He's given them the commission. You see some of these things in other Gospels. But he's given them the great commission. And he said, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. All he's got to do now is go home to heaven, ascend into heaven, and, and, and send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But yet there's this extra story, this epilogue to the story. Why is it there? Because, well, I think Jesus actually enjoyed the company of his disciples. I think Jesus wanted to be around them in those days where he was still on earth. He, he, he kept popping up because he loved his disciples. He loved being around them. He enjoyed their company, their presence. He enjoys your company. When you pray, he is delighted. It's not like, they're, oh, no, I've got... Billions of people praying at the moment, and now John started praying. 
He's delighted that you are praying, even if it's a one-sentence prayer, even if it's Lord help. He is delighted to hear you pray. He's delighted. He loves your praises. He loves because he knows that that's good for you. That's you connecting with your true purpose. You're connecting with God at, at a higher level. He loves your presence. He likes to be around his disciples. But also, he loved Peter so much that he didn't want to lose Peter from his presence. And we're going to find out that actually this chapter for me is as much about Peter as it is about anybody else. He didn't want to lose Peter. Think about the end of Peter's story, those who know the story. Peter has um, bravely said, though, though others leave you, I'll never leave you. Uh, I'm going to be with you to the end. Even if it means I have to die, Jesus, I love you so much, I'm going to be with you all the time. And then he goes and blows it and denies knowing Jesus three times. And that's the end of Peter's story in the gospel. But Jesus loves Peter so much, he doesn't want to ascend into heaven until he's spent some time with Peter and brought some restoration in. So we're going to learn about that in a few verses' time. Simon Peter said, moving back into the scripture and reading verse 3, I'm going fishing. Now, some have said that Peter is so depressed that he's denied Jesus. It does say he went out and he wept bitterly when the cock crowed and he realised what he'd done. Um, he's so depressed now. He's so given up on himself. I'm a rubbish disciple, but I can fish. And he's gone back to his old job. Some have said that because Jesus called him away from fishing and said, you're going to catch people. And some have said that Jesus... Um, sorry, that Peter is just kind of like, well, I'm just going back to the old thing then. It was a nice couple of years with Jesus, but uh, I'll just go back to fishing and, and make my money there and, and, and go on with it. Others, however, have thought that perhaps the best thing you can do when you're waiting, when you're feeling low, is just do something. And others actually admire Peter for the fact that he said, I'm going fishing. It's not a turning back on Jesus and turning your back on Jesus further and saying, right, I'm just going back to my old job. It's, I've got to do something. He's a physical kind of guy, I reckon, from reading some other stuff that he said and did. And he's just got to do something. And there is this idea that if God's going to direct you, it's easier for him to direct you when you're on the move. And we can see that in other parts of the Bible. It's easier to steer a moving vehicle than it is to steer a stationary vehicle. And at least Peter was doing something productive. So I kind of like that, uh, to see Peter in that light. And there's another part at the end of this chapter where, again, um, we could look down on Peter, but I, I, I think we can rescue some of Peter's character in this, in this chapter. But we'll, let's, let's stay focused on Jesus. He's, he's generous with his presence. He wants to be around because he wants to see Peter. So anyway, we haven't Jesus hasn't entered the scene yet, so let's keep reading. Uh, let's go to, from verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So they've gone out fishing, they haven't caught anything, and it's, it's night time, it's, it's better to fish at night. Um, they, would, they would shine lights on the water which would attract the fish that made it easier, but the main reason it's better to fish at night is because you want fresh fish in the market the next morning. So nighttime fishing was normal and best, and best for the, the next day's market. And um, so th th there they are. It, it's dark. They've gone out to sea. They can't see who Jesus is. 
Plus, we don't quite know exactly what Jesus looked like after his resurrection, if there was some way in which it was harder for him to be recognised. So um, Jesus calls out, fellows, actually I think the word is children, um, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Jesus is here reflecting what it is to be an abundant God, a God of abundant provision. He provides. He provides miraculously and he provides naturally, but he provides. He is a good God in your life today. He has a source of provision for you. He is a good God, a God of material provision. The Bible says, I have never, I've been young and I've been old, and in all those days I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. And if you follow Jesus this morning, you are considered righteous. I'm going to be talking about the righteousness of of the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness on the next few Wednesday nights um, very soon. And, and you are considered righteous by Jesus. And God says, or the, or the writer says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God is a God of provision, a good God. Con- continuing to read, then the disciples, the disciple Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. I mean, I just don't get that. I mean, your coat, you put your coat back on to jump into the water. Anyway, um, it's just going to be soggy and wet, and that's the heavy part of your clothing. Why not just leave it in the boat? Anyway, um, that's just an aside. Uh, Verse 8, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Hmm. The fish are still in the boat, but breakfast's waiting for them. Jesus had fish. He didn't need them to catch fish for him. He is a God of abundance. He is a God of provision. He has fish that you know not of. He's got things for you that you think you've just seen this great miracle and you've seen Jesus provide for you, but he's still got more. He's the God of the fish. He made them. So I just thought I'd say that. He's a God of provision. And then... He says in verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Now, I see that as um, continuing in this idea of provision, but there's more than one type of provision going on here. There's three in my mind. First of all, as we've seen, the obvious answer, material provision. He provides fish, and he is an abundant God, and he wants to provide for all of his children because he's a good dad. But secondly... He provides a way back for those who've gone astray. And that is an incredible provision. And somebody prayed in the pre-service prayer meeting that if there was anybody this morning that's in this room now that feels that they've fallen back in their relationship with God, that God would lead them back to them and show his 
path back to them or something along those lines. And I thought, that's an interesting prayer. We don't pray that every week. And I'm going to talk about that now. So if there is someone in the room who just feels like they've slipped back in their relationship with God, God will provide for you a way back. And this talk may actually be part of that way. So I feel like Jesus was providing for Peter a few mental triggers, a few little reminders of his past, his failures, and using those to say, Peter, I know you've failed, but I want you back in the fold. When he says, uh, when the angel says, um, go and tell the disciples and Peter at the resurrection, it's because Peter needs to be told that he's included. He provides a way back. In Matthew chapter 5, we see a very similar story. But the, the point is that this similar story, which is Peter's in a boat, he can't catch fish, Jesus at the moment, an unknown person calls out to Peter and says, um, go in again and catch some fish. And Peter says, no, we've been trying all night. And Jesus says, just do it. And Peter says, okay, um, I, I'm, I'm a professional fisherman and I'm taking fishing advice off a carpenter. Okay. Um, but anyway, he catches fish. And then Jesus says, from now on, you will catch people. You're going to be an evangelist. You're going to call people into the kingdom. And for this moment to be so remarkably similar, just while Peter is feeling like he's the worst disciple ever, he's just des he's deserted God, he's denied knowing Jesus, and maybe some of us sometimes have denied knowing Jesus through our lifestyles, Jesus says, remember what I called you to do. That calling hasn't changed and for us, remember the time you first decided to follow Jesus. That decision still stands. Jesus welcomes you back. He finds a way back for Peter. And I believe this the whole moment is just going to... You know how sometimes a song from the past reminds you of a moment or, or an event or a place or a smell just evokes something from the past and you kind of... For a, for a split second, you just kind of have a feeling about what it was like all those years ago. I just feel like Jesus has set Peter up to have that feeling of, this just feels like when you called me. When you said, I'm going to teach you to catch people instead of fish. Maybe I'm not going to go back to fishing for a living. Maybe Jesus is calling me. And then Peter gets out of the boat and um, Jesus has already got a charcoal fire going. And in John 18, we see Peter by a charcoal fire denying Jesus knew him. So I feel like it's possible that there's... And they're, they're, it's, I might be stretching the idea because I'm sure they sat around a fire a lot of times. But I'm just wondering, it just feels like um, the last time Peter was by a charcoal fire was while he was denying Jesus. And now here he is again staring Jesus in the face while Jesus has provided a miraculous catch of fish and he's got fish of his own as well. I just feel like it's, for me, it's saying to Peter, welcome back, son. Welcome back. You belong with me. I welcome you back. He provides a way. And he also provides an opportunity to get involved because he says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. 
He didn't need that, did he? So he's, he's saying there's an opportunity to partner with me. It's a third type of provision, is that Jesus not only welcomes you back and provides for you, welcomes you back, he, he provides for you an opportunity to work with him because he has caught his fish, Jesus has got his fish. If you're thinking of the analogy of catching fish being like calling people into the kingdom, Jesus has done a pretty good job. But he's just got a few fish on the fire compared with the fish that Peter, through the power of God, has called in. He wants us to partner with him. Jesus uh, drew the 12 disciples together and had many followers. But he's now saying to Peter, bring some of the fish you've caught you see the analogy that I'm kind of finding there is that Peter's got more people to bring in. Now Jesus might have had a great following, but he did say, you're going to do greater works than me. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and power, he preached to people and 3,000 were added to the number of believers that day. Bring some of the fish that you've caught to the fish that I've caught, that I've got here. He wants us to be involved. And for us, we are to partner with Jesus in what he is doing. He's not going to do it on his own. He has chosen for some reason to use us. He loves our presence. He loves our company. And he loves to get us involved in what he's doing. So he provides um, his presence He's generous with his presence. He could have gone to heaven, but he wanted to spend some more time around his disciples. He's generous with his provision in three ways I've seen there, and you can probably think of more. And he's generous with his pardon. And we've already sort of started to see this in his interaction with Peter. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore, just completing the reading, just reading systematically through the, the chapter, there were 153 large fish and yet they, the net hadn't been torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. If you've fallen out with someone, it's very difficult to sit across the table with them and eat a meal together. Eating together anyway, if you haven't fallen out with someone, eating together is a bonding moment. Food is a great bonding agent. And the Alpha Course, which has led so many people to Jesus, is partly successful because they do a lot of eating around the, the thing together. There's a lot of food around it. It works. Just eating together is a good thing. The Alpha Course is mostly successful because of the Holy Spirit working on people's lives. But food helps. And food is a bonding thing. And so when Jesus says, come and have some breakfast with me, he's, he's showing that he's forgiven Peter. Because you can't do that. You can't sit around with someone who you've just fallen out with and you're really upset with, really annoyed with. They've just betrayed you or they've just denied knowing you. And you're saying, come and eat with me. Jesus is giving Peter the royal pardon. He's saying, come and eat with me me. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Come and eat with me. To us today, Jesus says, come and eat with me. He says, look, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. 
If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Revelation 3.20. That whole idea of eating together is important to Jesus. I'm glad. I'm still reading through Leviticus. I'm near the end, those of you who uh, know that I was reading through Leviticus. And I'm on that chapter near the end, I think it's 23, um, which just outlines several feasts. It starts with the Sabbath, and then there's feast after feast after feast. Even in the Old Testament, God knew how to party. There's a lot of food in the Old Testament. And it's kind of, this is law, you've got to do this. You've got to eat together. And right through, and some of those things, they symbolise some amazing stuff about the New Testament and about the future that we haven't yet seen. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat in heaven. Don't know what that's going to be like, but food is important to God. So it's okay that I care about food. And it's okay that I plan my day around meals. Because God's pretty similar in some ways. He wants us to eat together. He wants us to eat together and, 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 and have fellowship. But the, the, the beautiful thing is that we can have that kind of fellowship with God. And that's what he wants us to do. So he's pardoned Peter. He's allowed him back in. He says, tell the disciples and Peter. He's, um, he's cooked fish for Peter. He's provided a way back. He's allowed Peter to partner with him in fishing for people, I think symbolically, but at the moment, literally. Um, and in verse 15, we have this interesting dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably know that in Greek there's more than one word for love. And if you've been in church even longer, I've been holding this water and not sipping it. Didn't even realise it was in my hand. Um, if you've been in church even longer, you'll probably know, and I think Paul mentioned it a couple of weeks back, that two types of word for love are being used in this passage. Jesus says, do you love me? And it's the higher kind of love, the, the love that really I believe you can only do with God's help, where it's an unconditional kind of love, not wanting anything back. It's called agape. So Jesus says, do you agape me? And, and Peter comes back with, you know that I filio you, which means I love you like a brother which seems like an insult. And this is the second time, like I mentioned before, there's two points in this story where Peter could be looked down on, but I think we could rescue Peter's reputation a tiny bit here. So it looks a bit bad. It's a bit insulting. God's saying, do you love me with all your heart in a way that is just so unconditional you'd do anything for me? And, and Peter says, yeah, I kind of like you. Well, I like you like a brother, yeah. Of course, of course I love you. Quite awkward, that, isn't it? It sounds a bit wrong. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than who? More than the fish, maybe? Because they're eating over fish. Could be. Could be saying, do you love me more than your livelihood? Do you love me more than these, than the fish? Or do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love people more? Or do you love me more? But, G but Peter, as we've said, says, you know that I love you. Different word for love, a lower word for love. Looks a bit rude, in a way. Um, and, but Jesus accepts his answer and says, then feed my lambs. In other words, you're going to be a church leader. Okay? So for churches, we think of all of us as a flock. Jesus is the chief, chief shepherd, but he appoints uh, shepherds to look after the flock. Feed my lambs. In verse 16, Jesus 
repeated the question, Simon, son of John, hold on, isn't this a bit formal? Both times he said, Simon, son of John. First of all, didn't, didn't Jesus rename Peter, Peter? He was called Simon, but from now on I'm calling you Peter, which means rock, because on this rock I'm going to build my church. And now he's calling him Simon, son of John as well. Simon, the old name, son of John, his human earthly identity. But it all sounds a bit formal, doesn't it? It sounds a bit serious, interesting. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. So it's a second time. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, I filio you, a lower level of love. Jesus accepts the answer. Take care of my sheep, Jesus says. Again, a bit repetitive, starting to sound formal, starting almost to sound liturgical. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And as I say, if you've been in church long enough, you know that here Jesus has now lowered his question to meet Peter at Peter's level and says, Simon, do you filio me? Do you love me like a brother? And Paul, I think, recently has said, Jesus came down to Peter's level. And that all works for me as an idea of Peter receiving Jesus' pardon. He will meet you where you're at. But that's nice. But why did Peter have to lower his answer? Or what do we see when we hear Peter lowering his answer? Think about who Peter is and what he's been so far. He's the guy who said, even if everyone leaves you, I'm going to stay with you. I agape you, Jesus. In effect, that's what he's been saying all along. I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you all the way. Yeah, they might dis just disappear and, and, and desert you, but I'm with you, Jesus. I die for you, Jesus. I love you, love you, love you, Jesus. And he's realised the emptiness of those words. He's realised, he's come to a self-awareness of his own enthusiasm in the moment, not always being outworked in reality. He's come to know himself a little bit better. And he has humbled himself. I don't think Peter's being rude and saying, yeah, you know, I love you as a brother. I think Peter's finally being honest with himself about his own limitations and he has levelled his expectations of himself to something that is a bit more realistic than, yeah, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. He's still the enthusiastic Peter who jumps into the boat with his, out of the boat with his coat on, but he's a bit more realistic about himself and perhaps a bit more realistic about Jesus. So yeah, I, I love you, I love you, Peter. I love you, Jesus, sorry, as a filio level. He's humbled himself, and I think that's a good thing. Some of us, we need to be honest about where we're at with God, and we may stand in church singing wonderful songs with our hands in the air, but when it comes to, and in that moment, we're just full of expectation of living for Jesus, but we take our first step out of the door on a rainy Monday and all that enthusiasm has gone. And it's very hard and it's easy for us to deny knowing Jesus. Peter was there. He, he, he was real. He was accepting that. He said, yeah, I love you like a brother. But let's just think about what happened next. All you've got to do is turn the page a couple of times and Peter's still in the story. 
Imagine if this story wasn't in John. The last thing we've got is, is Peter crying bitterly. That he's, the, the last real focus on Peter is him crying bitterly that he's uh, denied knowing Jesus. And then turn a few pages into the book of Acts and he's preaching and 3,000 people get saved. It's kind of a, well, how did that happen? And I, I love this story just placed in the middle of those two events and the restoration of Peter Jesus bringing Peter back in. Peter recognises that he isn't as big and wonderful as he thought he was. But what made the difference wasn't his own enthusiasm. Yeah, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. What made the difference was the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. That's how he changed. If he'd have had that same Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he probably wouldn't have denied knowing Jesus back in John 18. That's the difference. But it took Peter to realise, I need you, God. I need you. I need you to fill me with your spirit. So all those things tied in with the idea of Jesus pardoning Peter. And there's a bit more information that I'm skipping for this talk. And then you get to the last verse of this chapter. And it says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. A bit like the end of chapter 20. It's a bit like John's done his, uh, his, his end piece and then he thought, no, there's this finale. Well, the Holy Spirit inspired him. No, John, you've got some more to write here. We're going to, restore, we're going to tell people how Peter was restored uh, and then we just go back to the, to the end again. Um, and what a, what a lovely ending it is about all the books in the world couldn't contain everything Jesus did. How little we know of Jesus then. But we know the right stuff because the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write what was necessary for us today. So my idea of generous Jesus is that um, he's generous with his presence, his provision and his pardon. And, and, and my, my challenge to us today is that we would spend some time and get in his presence. We have such an amazing gift of the Holy Spirit that countless people didn't have before Jesus when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit he allows us to just enter into God's presence through prayer spend some time with him set your alarm clock 15 minutes earlier get a cup of tea wake yourself up spend a bit of time with Jesus try and find a space in your day where there is nobody else to interrupt you Get in his presence. He's generous with his presence. He's always there for you. He's always waiting. And you will be blessed from it. You will be enriched from it. Spend some time with Jesus. He's so generous. And when you spend time with him, there's so much more that he's got for you. And believe in his provision. Believe that whatever comes your way, he will never see you forsaken. He will never see you forsaken. Look to him and he will provide. And maybe for some of us, we need to believe in his provision of a way back to him if we've gone astray. We need to believe in his provision, not just materially, but he wants to partner with us. A provision of a way of getting involved. Maybe we want to believe in that. God couldn't use me. Why would God use me? I'm, I'm past it. I'm too old. Why would God use me? I've just got no skills. 
Well, there's lots of people in the Bible who said the same thing. You've got no argument there. Moses had a stutter. Gideon was the lowest of the low. God used him and called him a mighty man of God or whatever. Um, Loads of people had the excuse. But God wants to partner with you. He wants to provide you a way of working with him. And maybe this morning some of us need to receive his pardon. The royal pardon is open for you. You can receive his forgiveness. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however bad it was, he will receive you back because he's a loving, forgiving God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great stories in the Bible. Just on the face of it, just a wonderful story about a miraculous catch of fish. But we also thank you for some of the learning that we can find Uh, And we identify with Peter because we're all a bit um, unrealistic about our own expectations at times and and, uh, we all let you down at times. And and because of that, we love to relate to Peter in the way that you restored him back. You, You cooked breakfast, you had fish for him, you had a job for him and you had love for him. You received him back and so... And for those of us who need to come back to you, Father God, thank you for your open arms welcoming us home. In Jesus' name. May we enjoy one another's company as we fellowship together. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.